everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer, and that little bit kinder to yourself, because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. This episode is kindly sponsored by Zendium Toothpaste, which is different because it actually strengthens your mouth's natural defences. I've been using it for a few months now and I can massively tell the difference. My mouth actually feels healthier. What I also love about Zendium is their commitment to the planet. They recently removed the cardboard box from all their toothpastes, saving hundreds and millions of tons of cardboard every year. Isn't that an example of one of those super simple but massively impactful changes? I've often wondered why toothpaste comes not only in a tube, obviously, but also has that cardboard box around it. So it's such a brilliant change that they've made. And the Zendium tubes are also made from plant-based plastic and are fully recyclable. So when you give Zendium a try, not only are you being kinder to your mouth, but also the planet. I would love you to try it out. I've got all my friends and family using it now too. They are all loving it too. So if you go to zendium.co.uk, pop Motherkind in at the checkout and you will get 20% off. That's zendium.co.uk, pop Motherkind in at the checkout for 20% off. This week's guest says that we need to make peace our highest priority. Sherry Riley looked like she had it all on the outside. A dream job, a six-figure salary. She even bought her mum a house in her 20s. She really was ticking off all those markers of outside success, which I'm putting in quotation marks. I know you can't see me. But here's the clincher. She was utterly miserable how many of you can relate to this, I wonder? I know I can. Many of you might know I had a corporate career before Motherkind. And I guess on the outside, I looked pretty successful. But on the inside, it was a totally different story. I felt really lost, anxious, uninspired, and disconnected from who I really was. You know, I'd put on this smart suit and go into the city every day. And I just knew that it wasn't who I was, but I wasn't yet able to make that leap into what I really wanted to do. And I guess what that's what I've been up to the last five, six years is matching up my insides to my outsides so that how I feel is reflected in what I do. And I have this little mantra, which I'm sure you've heard me talk about on Instagram or on the podcast, which is that I want to put how I feel over how things look can I put how I feel over how things look? And that means I can turn down some big opportunities. It means boundaries easier because if I just keep coming back to how do I feel about this? Is this going to take away my sense of peace and calm? If so, I'm not going to do it. So you are going to love this episode. If you want to hear how Sherry did a 360 degree transformation of her life to now putting that peace first, putting her inner sense of connectedness and calm first in everything she does, including parenting. I hope you love the episode. As ever, please do share it, subscribe and review if you feel moved to. Here it is. 
Sherry, welcome back to the podcast, because I think it's important that everyone knows how gracious you've been, because we've actually already recorded this once, and I, on my side, had a technical challenge I couldn't resolve, which meant that we are recording again. So I wanted to open by just thanking you for that and for your generosity and giving me and us another portion of your time. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Being very transparent, when my assistant emailed me, I literally said yes without hesitation because I have been on the need of that type of grace (laughs) dealing with technology. So it is my pleasure. And I'm glad we're able to see each other again. Yes, me too. I was really looking forward to this. So I first heard you on Marie Folio, who I love and I listen to most weeks. And your message of Peace is the New Success just instantly resonated with me. And I thought, I have to read this book. I have to ask if this person would be willing to come on and talk to me about it. And I'm so excited to share your message. And I wondered if we could start with your breakdown slash breakthrough. So if you could just explain, how did you come to these really insightful realizations about success and life more broadly? How did you get here? I would love to say I was sitting on this pinnacle of greatness and it all just came together in such a magnificent and beautiful way. But the truth of the matter is I crashed and I burned. (laughs) I love to say in my bio when, you know, she resigned from LaFace Records when the, the reality is, no, I crashed and I burned. I had this amazing career that I had worked so hard to achieve and become a part of. I bought my mother a home by the age of 27. I was doing what I loved. I wanted to work in the music industry since I was 15 years old. And here I was in my mid-20s making six figures, working with artists like Usher and Tony Braxton and TLC at the peak of their careers. I had the career I wanted. I had this amazing financial success. I love the people that I worked with and I was absolutely miserable. I was miserable. This amazing career had literally kept me from having a good life. And when I crashed and I burned, one of the things that I realized is I had more than one dream. I mean, that was one dream to work in the music industry, but that wasn't the only dream. So the crash and the burn, as brutal as it was, was honestly such a breakthrough moment for me because I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to pursue other things. I'll share this one little thing. I thought I was an anomaly. I thought, okay, you've got the money, you've got this, you know, amazing career. Like, who are you to be miserable? Like, I felt so guilty, right? And I felt like this just has to be an issue I have. But what I discovered as I went on this journey to figure out what was the most important piece. And it happened to be peace, P-E-A-C-E, was the most important piece, P-I-E-C-E, that I was missing. And that's when I really discovered that I was spending 100% of my time on 10% of who I was, expecting 100% of my fulfillment. And I needed to answer that question. How do you stop doing that? How do you genuinely love the career you have and have this amazing life that you absolutely deserve. It's such a 
succinct way of describing what you now know. And it was my experience too, you know, such a universal experience where we go for these outer successes and we tick off the boxes that we think we wanted or society wants us to want, or maybe our parents wanted us to want and we get it and we feel as you describe like miserable I would describe I remember feeling really empty when I was ticking off these boxes when I read that I was like I've never heard anyone describe it so articulately you know stop spending 100% of your time I all your time focusing on career work when really that's just 10% of you yes and you know what I've discovered is the most obvious one is work you know you spending 100% of your time on this small percentage, which for many of us is work. But what I discovered on the journey is that 10% is whatever you're focusing 100% on. I've met mothers that were spending 100% of their time on just their children at the expense of themselves, at the expense of their marriages, at the expense of being in the community. I've met on this journey, men that were spending 100% on just being this idea of manhood and ego to the expense of being kind and considerate to their children, being available and communicative to their spouses. So what I've discovered is it's obvious about the career part, but what in your life, ask that question, is there anything in my life that I'm spending 100% on And literally, it's just 10% of who I am. I see it a lot in the faith-based community with leaders of the church, and they give everything to their actual flock, to their ministry and their church at the expense of their families, at the expense of their own personal mental care. And so I left thinking that 10% was career, but I've discovered there's so many versions of that 10%. Tell us, and I'm so fascinated in this, that moment where you have this realization, I have everything I want on the outside, but I do not feel happy on the inside. How did you go about 360ing your life where you put your inner peace, how you feel about yourself first? How did you make that massive shift? Was it incremental steps? Was it a massive leap, paradigm leap one day? Can you break that down for people? So when I literally crashed and burned, and I don't say that as just, you know, a figurative, (laughs) I mean, I literally crashed and burned. I was on a flight. This was pre 9-11, but I was on a flight from Atlanta to Los Angeles, which here in the States, that's about a five hour flight. And I was in first class. So you're in the front of the plane. When the flight attendants were able to finally wake me up, finally, The entire plane was empty. The flight attendants and the pilots were standing over top of me. So the reality of it, they had been trying to wake me up for a while. Like an entire plane had emptied out to where there was a look of concern on their faces. I literally crashed and burned. And it was the ushers, you make me want a video shoot that I was flying out for. I ended up coming right back to Atlanta I stayed in my apartment for like five or six days, just really getting in a a place of prayer. I'm a woman of faith. I don't put my faith on anyone, but I'm a woman of faith. I really stayed in a place of prayer because I knew that in that point in my life, I needed peace more than anything. I needed inner peace, but I had no idea what that meant. And so the steps that I took, the first was I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. And that decision was, I'm going to resign from my job. 
Like I had to make a decision. And I tell people everybody's decision is different, but it starts with a decision. And then the second thing I had to do is I had to give myself permission to be okay with how I was feeling. I had to give myself, stop hiding it, stop trying to make excuses for it, stop trying to justify it. And honestly, stop trying to explain it away. You don't have a right. You've got money. You've got this. No, give yourself permission to just be honest with how you're feeling and recognizing that a home and a car and all those other things are not fulfilling for me. Now, I love those things. I appreciate those things, but they weren't the most important thing. And what I realized is that, you know, especially in the industry I was working in, is that you can have the money and you can have the great career, you can have a phenomenal marriage and you can have a career that fulfills you. But the first thing we needed to pursue is that peace, right? So that's when I say pursue the peace. And then the third thing that I had to recognize after making a decision, after giving myself permission, the third thing that I realized is I had to be the disruptor in my own life. I had to be the disruptor that I was looking for. Nobody could save me. Nobody could rescue me. I had to be that disruptor. And when I say that, for me, it manifested in what I say now is I'm my first and most important client. I had to be true to me. What matters to me? And honestly, my father was the most important voice in my life at that time. He had no idea what was going on. He was like, what are you doing? Because let me tell you, I quit my job and bought a home all at the same time. (laughs) Who does that? But I had to accept I'm the disruptor in my own life. I need to do what I know is most important for me in this journey. So those were the first three steps that I had to take on the journey to really discover that peace, clarity, and courage were the most important things for me, which is what I call exponential living. There's so much in that I want to dive into. The thing that just really stood out for me was I am the disruptor in my own life because I remember having that realization. Now it seems embarrassing almost that I didn't know it before, that I was responsible for my own happiness. To my it's like that saying, it's like, God, how did I not that? I really didn't. I really didn't. And I remember the day that that absolutely landed with me. And I was like, God, no one else is going to come and save me, as you say. No one's going to offer me the perfect career opportunities, whatever it is. I've got to go. I am responsible and only me. And it's a fear and a freedom in that. Yeah, there's such a freedom. And the freedom also empowers you that you get to write the story, right? Because when you're waiting for someone to save you, when you're waiting for someone to tell you, then you're waiting for someone else's story to apply to your life. But when you decide I'm the disruptor in my own life, now it doesn't negate the fact that you still need people, right? It doesn't negate the fact that you still maintain work in that marriage and making sure you're present with your children, making sure that If you're an entrepreneur, that you are considerate of the people working with you. If you work at someone else's company, that you show up every day in excellence. It doesn't negate those things. What it does is it empowers you to take ownership of your own greatness, right? You're not waiting for someone else to tell you you're great. You own your greatness and then you show up in all those other external realities in the fullness of who you are. And so it just takes your power back. I mean, it just really takes your power back when you realize that you are really the author of your story. And when you're working with clients, you work with 
incredibly successful people on the outside. When you work with clients who are going through this shift, like I've been through and you've been through, where do people tend to get stuck and how do you help them move past that? In my book, as you know, Exponential Living, the core of the book is the nine principles. There's nine principles of exponential living. And there's two places people get stuck. And this is kind of universal across the board. I'll start with the one that kind of speaks directly to your question. Once they've gotten into the process, they get stuck at principle eight, which is the courage to be faithful, because that principle principle is about healing. And healing isn't just about negative things or trauma. Healing is about your mindset. You know, that conversation you've had in your mind, you can't do this. Who says you're worthy of this? Why do you think you could do this? Somebody else is going to do it better. You're going to mess it up. What if it happens? Then what are you going to do? So there's a healing. And what happens is we get stuck there because the healing is painful it's painful. You may have to look at your family in a more realistic way. You may have to forgive yourself for decisions that you've made. I had one client, she had to forgive herself for getting a divorce. And it wasn't that the marriage wasn't supposed to end. She had to forgive herself because she felt like because she got a divorce, she eliminated her opportunity to have children. And so when we were working together and she forgave herself for the divorce, you know what she did right after that? She adopted her beautiful, amazing Mm -hmm. son because when she forgave herself, she realized she'd been holding on to a lie. I cannot be a mother because I got a divorce. Well, when she healed from that lie, she was like, I can adopt. People get stuck because they don't want to go through the painful commitment and consistency of healing. Now, that's where they get stuck. Let me tell you where they really get stuck. Many don't even get to that point because the first place they get stuck is recognizing they need help. The first place they get stuck is in the very first principle. And that is that they don't need the help. That even though they're in pain, even though they're frustrated, even though they keep making the same choices, getting the same outcome, even though they know that they have this amazing career or this great family, even if they know that that something, I got a young lady that's going to call me tonight and she's like, I'm stuck. I know I'm stuck, but she won't work with me. She's going to call me tonight as her friend and we're going to talk and we're going to have a great conversation, but she's not going to work with me because, and this has been going on for years and I love her. She's my friend, but it's because she will not make the first step. So the first step is what gets people stuck. And that last step of actually going through the healing and both of them are tied to the responsibility and the accountability of dealing with the pain of the change. It's so powerful, this idea that, and I see this with my clients too, you know, I do coaching too, is that the biggest transformation that anyone can say is, I'm willing to do this differently. Yeah. But I get why people get stuck there because it brings up, firstly, the brain doesn't like change. So all your brain chemistry is fighting it. It's fear of the unknown. Absolutely. One of the things is, at least I know this pain. At least I know this outcome. At least I know this part. So even though I'm struggling, even though I'm not going anywhere, even though I'm frustrated. And the thing is, it's not even that you appreciate the place you're in. It's a habit. The familiarity keeps you stuck. 
It keeps you stuck. And so a lot of times with my clients, I just have to get them to commit to changing the habit. Like I can't even get them to deal with the bigger issue. It's like if I can just help them recognize that even your struggle is a habit, even your pain is a habit, the outcome that you keep getting that's negative, it's a habit. But what happens is you start telling yourself, I'm a bad decision maker. I'm not good at what I do. I'm not the best person for the job. None of those are true. What is true is that you continue to do the same thing that has become a habit. And so that's one of the things is just coming in and and it simplifies it because it's a lot harder to go, oh my God, I got to change the whole way I think versus I literally just got to change this one habit. I can almost hear people nodding along (laughs) who were stuck, you know, maybe in relationships they don't want to be in or living situations they don't want to be in, jobs they don't want to be in really realizing, gosh, yeah, it's this habitual thinking that feels comfortable, but it's keeping me stuck. What are some of those kind of micro steps that someone can take to move them out of that? I say this not as a plug, but as a fact. We need coaching. We need accountability. Because as my dear friend Les Brown says, is you can't see yourself when you're in the picture frame. I'm a coach and I've got a spiritual coach. I've got a business coach. I've got, I need help. If you're looking for a coach, if they don't have coaches or a coach, don't work with them because how are they going to, you're going to grow and stretch. And so that's critical is, and even if it's not a coach, who is that person in your life that can be an accountability partner that's going to hold you accountable and you have to receive when they basically tell you, no, that's the decision you keep making. That's the habit that has gotten you stuck. So the first thing is getting that accountability. The second thing is the consistency. Losing weight, what I tell people all the time is, you know, we think that it's lifting the weights is what's causing us to lose the weight. No, going to the gym consistently to lift the weight is what's allowing you to lose the weight. It's the consistency. So we need the accountability and we need the consistency. Meaning if there's a thought that you have, if you keep telling yourself, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at this. Well, when that thought comes up, you have to immediately go, no, I can do this. You'll see me sometimes. I'm doing it because I'm killing a thought in my mind. Like, you know, if you look at me like, what is she doing? But it's like, no, immediately you have to stop the thought and say, no. I am good at this because you're creating a new habit. And then the third thing is you got to give yourself grace. You've got to give yourself grace. You didn't create the habit overnight. You're not going to change the habit overnight. You're going to fall short some days. Get back up. Start all over. No matter how long you've been doing it, start all over. Give yourself grace because I believe this interview, as good as it was the first time, because there was grace extended. This is even better than the first one we had. It is even better. better. But that's what grace gives you. Grace gives you not the opportunity to feel defeated. Grace gives you the opportunity to do it even better. So we've got to stop beating ourselves up. So we got to get that accountability. We've got to be consistent. And then we've got to give ourselves grace so that we can get better. It's so true, isn't it? I loved how you said it doesn't have to be a coach because not everyone can afford to work with someone else. And I heard you say, and I think it was the interview with Marie Folio that you had an accountability buddy when you were writing your book. Yes. It was a friend that was checking in with you 
and, you know, almost helping you stay accountable to your vision. I think, did you call it a vision partner? I called it my vision partner. I had two of them. And here's the thing. You don't have to hire a coach because again, one, you may not need a coach. You may not be able to afford it. And in this instance, I didn't need a coach. I needed the accountability. It's really about the accountability, but I still had structure around it. So it was once a week for an hour, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. once a week. It was on a Thursday where we had these vision calls. Or if there's an accountability, if there's something that's going on, even with your spouse, my husband might say, hey, when you see me doing this, let me know immediately. But you have to create the accountability around the accountability, right? Because what will happen is you'll look up and, you know, two weeks have passed, three weeks have passed, a month have passed. People are busy. So it can't just be happenstance. You have to be very intentional. If it is going to be a friend, if it's not someone who's invested with their money, then you have to be intentional about making sure what that accountability looks like and how it's going to be given so that both of you stay committed to the process. We did those vision calls for a year. That's a lot to ask of someone, right? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind. You've got a brilliant story around the book because you said that you have been trying to write the proposal for seven years. Is this right? Tell us the story because I think that's such a good example of how we hold ourselves back. Although I believe in divine timing as well. So how do you handle those two dichotomies, I guess? I'm a woman of faith, as I said. And so I would ask God all the time, like, help me with the difference between faith without works is dead and God does everything in his own perfect timing, right? Because it's kind of like, which one is it? Well, I know now the reason it took so long is because this book was not about theory. This book was about the process. And I had to go through and I had to grow through the process. So when I hear people like you and others say the impact that book had on them, Mm -hmm. I believe it's because I literally wrote the pain, the sorrow, the struggle, the happy, the joy, all of it was literally chronicled in that. So it was a total of 12 years. It was seven years to get the publishing deal. It was 12 years to actually go through the whole process. And now looking back on it, everything in that book, is literally the living, breathing example of exponential living. To be honest, real transparency, I was so sick and tired of reading self-help books. And at the end of the book, all they did was tell me the problem. Like, I know that's the problem. Like, I need help. And I kept saying that. Like, I don't want to write a book that's just telling me the problem. I really want to give tangible, transformative realities, concepts, steps, 
on how you really get to this place of peace and clarity and courage. So I didn't want a transaction, meaning I didn't want people to just buy the book. I wanted transformation. And so on that journey of 12 years total, seven years, but let me tell you how I finally got unstuck. Took seven years to write the book proposal. Now, the book proposal is basically a glorified outline, right? It's an outline of the book, but it was taking me seven years. Well, in December of 2014, I literally got rid of 80% of everything on my to-do list. I left three things, get this publishing deal, lose some weight and increase my speaking engagement. That was the second week of December. I got focused because I only had those three things on my list. By January 7th of 2015, I sent my book proposal to my agents. They called me back instantly and said, oh my God, Sherry, you found your voice. And four weeks later in February, I had four publishing houses that wanted my book. Now, look at the timeline. What had taken me seven years, I got done in eight weeks. And that right there, that was because I finally got focused. More importantly, I finally took ownership of what was most important. I'd been so distracted with all of these other little things, but I didn't take ownership of what was most important. And when I finally did that, the book proposal came together. And when you don't take ownership, I'll add this last caveat, that book you have now, the book proposal had gotten so far from that because I wouldn't take ownership, because I wouldn't own my own voice. I kept seeking other people to tell the story. What should this book be? You're the expert in writing books. You're the expert in titles where they were the expert in working with other authors, but they weren't the expert in my story, my story. And so when I finally took ownership of what I wanted that book to be, and I had the confidence to own that. That's when we got the publishing deal and the book was finished and it's what you have now. So it literally, it was God's timing, but then I had to step up and take ownership. I love the story. I mean, it it relates a lot to experiences I've had as well, but I think it's so easy to get lost in myriad, you know, particularly for busy mothers, isn't it? Of, Of the hundreds of things probably that we have to get done on a weekly and monthly basis. And I love this idea of radically, and it is quite radical, reducing your list to just, you know, three priorities. Like, what would my three priorities be? I think that's such a powerful question for people to reflect on. Like in 2021, what would your three things be? You know, I'm going to think about what mine are going to be. Yeah, I live by that now. I live by that every quarter. I identify what those three most important things are. But here's the thing. Think about it. In February, because one of the most important things was getting my book deal. Well, in February, I got the book deal. So now what do you do? You go back to that list and you pull the next most important thing and you add it to that three. So it really increases your productivity to get things done instead of just this long laundry list of you get a little bit, little bit, little bit, but you never get anything completed versus put it on the list, lock in on it, knock it out, now go get the next thing. So I live by that now. Any day and time, I can tell you what my three things are. What are they at the moment? (laughs) Right now, they are finishing my Exponential Living Playbook, spending a minimum of 30 minutes to an hour every day with intention with my daughter. And I have this work 
project that I'm putting together. It's called Power Broker Academy, getting that finalized. So those are my top three right now. And so when I get the first one done, I'll then pull that next one up. And I want to talk about that second one. That's on my intention list every day. Actually, I write my intentions every evening for the next day. And most days I write, connect with my girls, particularly my youngest, Rose, who I feel I don't have a stronger bond with as my five-year-old yet. How do you make sure that when you're living that intention of connecting, and you think you use the word mindfully, how do you make sure this is something I struggle with, that you are fully present, that you're not a little bit of your mind thinking, oh, I've got that podcast later, or I wonder what's happened with that email, or has that contract been signed? Something I grapple with to be really transparent. You know, I'll be trying to be present and I have to keep pulling myself back, particularly when we're doing something really boring like the block in the tower for the hundredth time, because I've got little ones. (laughs) So tell me how you maintain that presence. I can't take any of the credit. My youngest daughter taught me that. She taught me in a way that changed the whole trajectory of my life. She was about six years old and uh, she had just started playing lacrosse and she had her very first lacrosse game, like her very first one. She's the littlest thing on the field. All of the players were third grade, fourth grade. And so when we were at the game, my girlfriend had called me And so I called my girlfriend back. Now I had my AirPod, you know, at the time the corded, you know, earplugs in my ear and I had my phone in my lap. So I didn't even think she could see me on the phone because my phone was in my lap. And, you know, I talked to my girlfriend for about the first quarter and a half and my daughter won her first game. Right. And my baby is very affectionate. So I just knew she was going to run and she was going to jump in my arms and we were going to celebrate her first win. But when she walked up to me, the first thing she said was, mommy, I can't believe you were on the phone for my first ever lacrosse game. And she walked and joined the rest of her team. And I got to tell you, in that moment, my heart was so broken. I was embarrassed. I was devastated because the reality is she taught me that my presence, just being there, my presence wasn't enough. I needed to be present. Right. I mean, that call was just me thinking, oh, it's just a five, 10, 15 minute call. But for her, something that meant that much, I wasn't present. I was physically there, but I wasn't there. And that feeling I had in that moment changed everything for me in our relationship, in my relationship with my husband and my relationship with my friends and my relationship at work, because our presence is not enough. We have to be present. And so a part of that peace, that clarity and that courage is being present in every moment. And so I'm not going to say it was easy in the beginning. It's easier now because now I look at it. My baby, she's four or five years away from going to college. Every minute matters. Every second matters. If 2020 didn't teach us anything, it taught us every moment is important. But also I've learned to integrate my daughter into my life. So she would travel with me on trips or she'll be a part of the things that I'm doing so that when I do say mommy has to do an interview, she understands what that means. But she also knows when I say, hey, Dominique, you and I are going to hang out. She knows I'm going to be 100% present. And so she doesn't need 100% of me all the time. 
But when I do give her my time, she deserves 100% of me. And so I have to be mindful of put my phone down, don't put it in reach. What do I need to do before we spend time together so that I can mentally be present? And then I have to make the decision to be present. You have the different stages and then understanding how that evolves over time, because what present was for her at six is not the same as 14. (laughs) You know, I have to then respect how present shows itself as she continues to mature and get older. I love that because what I'm hearing is that through her courage, actually, of speaking her truth on that cross field, she enabled you to have a huge transformation around wherever you are being all there. What else has she taught you? Oh, my gosh. She is such a mirror. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. I'll tell you, one of the most powerful things she taught me and my husband, she was about three years old. And her energy was just off. I mean, she was just a snappy little three-year-old. And my husband, he was about to whoop her, right? Because she was being a little snappy. But what I realized is she was only in the energy of what him and I were being. Like he was being snappy to me. I was being snappy to her. I was being snappy to him. He was being snappy to his mom. And she, as a three-year-old, was just the mirror, of what him and I was. And so when I told him, he was like, oh my God, you're right. And so when him and I got more intentional about how we were showing up with each other, that energy just left her. So what I learned from that is energy is so important. And it's not just with our daughter. Energy is important, period. What you send off is what comes back to you. We were sending off this, I don't have time. I'm to this. I don't want to And so our daughter was sending that back to us. There's so many. I could go on and on. If you want to learn about yourself, have children. (laughs) They will teach you. (laughs) So true. Someone said something to me early on when I was a mother that children are rarely attention-seeking. They're connection-seeking. Yeah. And it's just such a powerful thing. And I always hang on to that. And that's what I'm hearing from your daughter. It's like they all seek that pure connection Mm -hmm. and we're anywhere that's off they're going to act out but typically as you say what we tend to do is punish that or you know even think what's wrong with me and actually nothing it's just could we look at this with a different angle with compassion for everyone involved and what's really going on here I just love that example it's so powerful and you said it even with connection a lot of times you know parents think that when you work hard because you want to buy them things And unfortunately, what happens is you buy them great things, but they get that connection in other ways that may not be as positive or as in alignment with what you would want for your child. But that's so important you say that because it is about the connection. It's not about the things, though things are nice and things are wonderful, but they can never replace that connection. They can never replace that time, that intention that you and your children have with each other. I think that's one of the biggest challenges of parenthood, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) I want to, before we close, I want to talk a bit more about peace. You know, you've touched on it briefly that 2020 has really brought a lot of outer chaos. And what I hear a lot of people saying is that when things settle on the outside, then they'll be able to feel that calm, that peace on the inside. And I love that you teach that we don't have to wait 
for the outsides. We can cultivate that regardless of what might be going on on the outside. And I wondered if you can unpack that because I think right now there's so much uncertainty, fear globally. And I wondered if you could just share a bit about how people might start to shift that inner experience from one of fear to one of peace. Peace is literally the inner decision that you make. It's never about the external. When we talked about my vision partner and the definition of exponential living went from like four pages to two pages to one page to a paragraph. And in that paragraph, eventually down to exponential living is pursuing peace, choosing clarity and living courageously. And my vision partner said to me, you know, Sherry, I love everything about it, but you got to remove the word peace. She was like, because I mean, peace isn't really possible. Like there's so much chaos. She lives in New York City at the time. And she said, you know, even when you get into a yellow taxi cab, there's commercials playing, you know, there's no such thing as peace. And what I said to her as a woman of faith, I shared in my favorite book when it talks about, you know, Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and they were on the waters and it was this huge storm. And it was thunder and it was lightning and the waves were beating. And and literally there was this fear that the disciples were having that they were going to die, right? In this storm. And Jesus was asleep in the midst of the storm. It says he was asleep. And so the disciples woke him up like, oh my God, like we're going to die. Like, aren't you concerned? In the Bible, he said, peace be still. And what that says to me is that peace is always available to us, regardless of our external reality. We have to choose to lock into it. We have to choose to own it. We have to choose to declare that that peace is there for us. And so when we understand that peace is not predicated by a great vacation or a rocky reality in your life, Peace is an internal calm that we have access to every day, all day, when we decide to own it and when we decide to fight for it and when we decide to pursue it. And that's why I say pursuing peace, because it isn't a destination that you reach. It is a day by day, minute by minute, second by second decision that you make. Because honestly, we could finish this interview right now and something could happen. I could get a phone call. I could get a text. Something had happened with my family that externally rocks everything going on around me. I get to decide how I react to it. And that's the power. That's why I say peace is possible. Peace is our power. Peace is the new success. Because when we decide that it's always available to us. No pandemic can rob our peace. No broken relationship can rob our peace. No devastating loss can rob our peace. Now, peace does not negate the hurt, the pain, the happiness, the frustration, the grief. It doesn't negate any of those things. It is our power in those things. And I think that's where the disconnect comes is we want peace to be this great elixir that keeps us from feeling. Peace doesn't keep you from feeling. Peace is the power that allows you to process through the feeling, through the emotion, through the grief, through the joy. Do you know how many people rob themselves of joy because they're afraid to feel happy? They're afraid to enjoy the excitement and celebrate their victory. And again, it's because they won't own that inner peace. Peace empowers you to even celebrate your victories. 
So it's a constant decision to own the most powerful gift that we have, and that is peace. Wow. One thing I want to unpick, I was just sat here thinking it through with my experience of this, is peace allows you to feel those things. Can you unpick that? Yes. Oh my goodness. So on this journey, I realized that a lot of my clients get numb. They've gone through so many struggles that they're emotionally numb on this journey. Even my most successful clients, they won't celebrate their success because they don't want to be too happy because they're afraid if they get too happy, then what are they going to do? They're going to come back and be too sad because they don't want to feel. But when we work together and when they understand peace is their power, peace is the power. What peace does, it allows you in your most broken places to understand the difference between your truth and your reality. So there was a season in my life when I was homeless and I was financially distraught. And in that place, peace allowed me to understand my reality is financially, it's some struggle going on. But my truth is that I'm a brilliant businesswoman. My truth is I'm capable of generating income in my company. My truth is there's been a recession in this country that has affected all business. So what we do when we allow peace to be that place that we stand on, it empowers us to feel whatever we're feeling. It empowers us to separate truth and reality so that you can own the truth of who you are and deal with the reality of what's going on around you. And when you have that peace, and what I say with exponential living, peace, and I say this with 100% certainty, peace will always give you clarity. When you get in a place of peace, that's when you absolutely can pursue that peace and choose that clarity. There's such a power in peace that it allows you to see clarity, choose clarity, and make those decisions. And when you bring peace and clarity together, oh my God, it gives you the courage to make any decision. It gives you the courage to endure whatever you're processing or working through. So when you have that peace, that clarity, and that courage, then it allows you to understand what you're feeling is either going to elevate you or it's going to make you better or you're going to learn from it, but it doesn't have to destroy you. It doesn't have to destroy you. So that's the power in peace and how it allows us to get even more empowered in our feelings and our emotions and in those good and bad places in our lives. What's coming up for me is just this word grounded. You know, when you can feel so grounded and you're not being thrown around by the external roller coaster of life, as you say, you can keep that clarity, which is what's my next step? What's my next step? What's my truth? What's my reality? As you said, How does someone, if they're listening and they feel quite far away from what you're describing, quite far away from this sense of inner security, inner calm, inner peace, inner groundedness, they might feel panicky, anxious even, out of control, trying to control things as a response to the fear. What are some steps that people might take to get closer to the state that you're describing? And I say this, it's not a shameless plug. It is just a fact that the book that I wrote, really is the manual. Thousands of people have said that to me. They have it sitting on their nightstand. They say, I have your book on the nightstand. I've read the book like at least 20 times. And I'm going to read it again at the end of this year because I keep getting the reminder 
of, okay, this thing and this step. So I say that as just humbly that it it has honestly been that for me and, and many, many others. But I also would say, and again, I'm a woman of faith. I don't put my faith on anyone else, but you have to find that practice that allows you to stay connected to your core. For me, that is prayer. Prayer is where I stay connected to my core. Who are you, Sherry? Who are you today? For some people, that's meditation. For some people, that's journaling. For some people, that's exercise. For some people, they take time away. One of my clients, they walk their dog. That's their time every day to go and settle in with their thoughts, with who they are. So for me, it's prayer and meditation and worship. But what is that thing that you have to do daily that allows you to stay connected to who you are, the core of who you are, so that you can hear your own thoughts, so that you can hear what you absolutely need for you and stay connected in that place? So again, definitely my book. In addition to that, for me, it's prayer. But what is that practice that you can do on a daily basis that keeps you connected? And then the last one is laughter. Believe it or not, it's laughter. I mean, there's a scientific proof behind it, but I'm going to keep it real simple. It's very hard to really feel the frustration of life when you're laughing. (laughs) It's like, you know, and I'll say this quickly. There is a story that I read. A gentleman had been diagnosed with cancer and they had given him only 12 months to live. And so he, and this is a little old, but he went to Blockbuster. Go figure, who even remembers that? And, you know, where you would buy videos. Now I would say he binge watched Netflix, but he literally went and he rented all the comedies, just all the comedies. Because he said, hey, I've only got nine to 12 months to live. I just want to laugh my way out. That was his whole mindset. And he went back a few months later, you know, for his follow-up testing because it was terminal. So the follow-up was basically just to get things prepared. And the doctor was just kind of telling him what to prepare for. And when they ran the test, they couldn't find the cancer. Ran test again, ran test again. And to this day, the gentleman feels like it was the laughter. There is a healing in laughter. And I'm not prescribing that laughter cures cancer. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is our mindset and our energy, that is so attached to our physical well-being. And so laughter, laughter. There's been days where I've went in that prayer closet and I've prayed and I've come out of that prayer closet and I felt solid, but I still felt heavy. And I have made the intention that I'm going to put a smile on my face and I'm going to laugh my way through the day. It is so hard to be upset when you smile. It is so hard. So the third one is just laughter. Laughter. There's enough seriousness in life. And I do that. I'm very intentional about that with my daughter. My youngest daughter, one of the things that for me, when you talk about what do you learn from your kids, I have a bonus daughter who's eight years older than my daughter. And when she came to live with us, you know, there was this thing that was just heavy. And so I knew that I didn't like the heaviness in my life. And so when my youngest was born, before she was born, I would pray, Lord, just just let her smile. Let her have joy. Let her be happy. And when she was born, I would just sit and smile. She would be in my arms. There's pictures where she's like in my lap. 
And I would just smile at her and she would smile back. And to this day, she's going to kill me for sharing this. But to this day, when I smile at my 14-year-old, almost 14-year-old, she can't help but smile back. Like she has tried not to, but she doesn't know. I was so intentional from the time she was born that I wanted her to know the power of smiling. I wanted her to know the power of laughter, that no matter how bad a day may get, that she has the power to turn her day around with her own smile. I don't just say it, I live by it. Like laughter and smiling is such a beautiful way to experience the power of that peace. No, oh, it's so true. And I I love that. It's so easy to forget these simple things. So easy to forget the simple things. And the last question which I ask everyone is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? It would be the power of peace. That was an easy one for me. It would be the power of peace because I know what it's like to have the absolute best life you could want. And I've known what it's like to be so broken, broken that you don't even know how you're going to lift your head up off the pillow. And in both of those realities that I have lived, not just experienced them for a moment, but lived them for years, the one thing that mattered the most to me in both of those extremes was peace. At my highest high, I needed peace. And at my lowest low, I needed peace. At my best day with my daughters, I needed peace. And on the worst days, when they wanted to strangle me and I wanted to strangle them, (laughs) I needed peace. When my husband and I have been in the best our marriage has been, and when we've been on the brink of divorce, I needed peace. So the greatest gift that I could share or give to all the moms and everyone listening, your entire tribe, is just the absolute critical power of peace. It's beautiful. And where can people learn more about you and your work and get the book? Tell us if people are like, yes, I'm in. (laughs) Yes. So I would love one to stay connected on Instagram, which is Instagram or YouTube, where I do give Instagram is like daily inspiration and YouTube. I'm constantly posting videos. Both of them are Sherry Riley, S-H-E-R-I-R-I-L-E-Y, Sherry Riley. Same thing for my website. I would love your community to join my exponential living community where I send out weekly words of empowerment. And that is SherryRiley.com. Keep everything simple, right? Sherry Riley. And then lastly, for anyone that would love to order an autographed copy of my book, Exponential Living, Stop Spending 100% of Your Time on 10% of Who You Are, they can go to peaceisthenewsuccess.com and you're able to order an autographed copy of the book. And then the ebook and audio book are available everywhere those formats are sold. I love that URL. <laughs> peaceisthenewsuccess.com that's it. I'm so happy when that was available. Oh my gosh, we did a backflip. <laughs> and we grabbed it up instantly. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, it's been such a joy. Again, again, it's been, I can't believe I've got to spend two hours with you. I feel so privileged. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad we got a chance to do this again. I honestly am. Thank you. So that was the episode. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. I hope you really enjoyed it. I think if I could take away just two 
big insights from this episode. The first one would be around the power that we have to choose our internal state. Can we choose, regardless of what is going on around outside of us, can we choose that state of calm and peace? What would that look like? And the second thing is around our children being our mirror. And I know we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I think the way that Sherry shared so beautifully how her daughter acting out was mirroring some of the tensions in her home and her relationship. Wouldn't that be a powerful place to start when we notice our children start acting out or behaving differently to first take a breath and think, what could they be reflecting back to us? I hope that's helpful and I hope you loved the episode. I will see you next week.